Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnebly and Toth. Hey, uh, mm. JG, do you know why this podcast is like a brand new piano? Because I've never listened to either one of them in William Shatner's garage. <laughs> no, but that's pretty impressive. <laughs> If you uh, laid out all 88 of our podcasts side by side, they would make up each key of a piano. That is really interesting. I don't know if it's interesting, but it, it fills the space that we reserve for opening these shows with mundane conversation. Reminds me of an of a interesting fact that we talked about on Box of Oddities a while ago. If you take... The middle C, if you on a, on a piano and just play middle C, mm -hmm. and you were to scale it up forty-one octaves, what would it be? I don't know. It would be it would be the color green. Really? Yeah. I'll be damned. I had no idea. Kermit the Frog was <clears throat> a very insightful reptile, wasn't he? <laughs> yes, indeed. He was indeed. Yeah, I find <laughs> that uh, the whole color and sound frequency thing. Fascinating. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. I uh, that that tangentially reminds me of Amadeus, the film, and uh, when young Mozart was just he had the uh, the billiard ball, and he was you know rolling it on the yeah. billiard table mm -hmm. and bouncing it back to him, and then that realization of the mathematics of yeah. that shape correlating to notes on a staff. I love that. I love God, that. That was just amazing. Everything seems to be hinged on the number seven. Seven colors we can perceive in the spectrum. Right. And there are seven notes in a scale. And one of our favorite places to hang out in Tucson was Seven Falls in Sabino Canyon. Oh, Remember that? It all ties together. Doesn't it? See? It's weird. Nature abhors a vacuum, JD. That's all <laughs> I can say. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Who's going first on this ramshackle of a podcast we got chugging yeah along. well strap yourself down for the wildest ride in the west all right actually in australia uh okay. so the wildest ride down under down under uh once upon a time in a balmy and appropriately named town in australia 
the town of Darwin, um, there lived a man. <laughs> we'll call him Mick, okay? okay. And, and Mick had been out with his friends. He was out on the town with his buddies, and he was knocking back a few fosters, I'm guessing. I don't know. As the Aussies are wont to do. And he'd had a little bit too much, and he decided he just wanted to go home. Now, the town of Darwin, it's an intriguing place. It's perched on the edge of the Sea of Timmer. It's where the outback meets the ocean, and it's known for its somewhat quirky inhabitants, and I mean that in a respectful and fun way. Of course. And even quirkier tales. And Mick was about to add yet another layer to the town's eccentric reputation. Unbeknownst to himself, I'm guessing. At this point, unbeknownst to himself. Now, it was one of those muggy nights when the humidity kind of clings to your skin, and uh, it's four in the morning. He's trying to find his way home. It's said that some people do their best thinking in the wee hours of the Mm -hmm. morning, but Mick is not one of them. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) In fact, his thought process that night was about as clear as a mud puddle. Mm. You see, Mick had encountered a predicament. He had had way too much to drink, and he just wanted to go home and go to bed. But as he arrived at his apartment building, he realized he had locked his keys inside the upper level apartment of his high rise building. Oh, that's bad. Now, this is a problem for sure, but one that Mick decided to tackle with all the grace of a uh, drunken platypus. <laughs> um, he peered up at his apartment window. Now, I'm not sure exactly how many floors up it was. It wasn't listed in the, uh, in the articles that I found. But enough that he wasn't just going to jump. No, no, he, no, he no, was not. Okay. So he peers up at his apartment window and it's just barely illuminated by the flickering street light. And uh, that's when the idea struck him. Hmm. I'll just climb up the outside of the building. Oh, that's no problem. Genius, genius idea. Certainly is at four in the morning with 18 fosters in your belly. <laughs> So there he was, standing in the dimly lit alley, dressed in a tattered oversized t-shirt and mismatched socks. Um, I don't know. I just thought maybe that would add to the yeah, we'll go along descriptive nature of I like it. it. Yeah. I like it. He's ready to embark on what he believed to be his uh, magnum opus of amateur daredevilism. Mm-hmm. He surveyed the building's exterior. Now, you've, you've probably seen buildings like this. On the corner, they have kind of decorated masonry where it juts out a little bit from the wall. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, decorative uh, like brick or molding or something like that. Yeah. 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 So he sees that and uh, he thinks, well, this is my stairway to to heaven. Here's my ladder. (laughs) He plants his uh, foot on the first block of the protruding stone and it shifted just Mm. a little bit under his weight. But he's not... He's not going to let that stop him, though, right? Oh, of course not. No. (laughs) Not Mick. Because even though the stone had seen better days, so had Mick. Um, (laughs) He decided he's going to go for it, and it's humid, so it's slippery, and he ascends slowly, one trembling step at a time, sticking his fingers and his toes into the edges of the stonework and hanging on for dear life with his heart pounding. Already making my palms sweat. I have a terrible fear. Of heights. Me too. One of my my worst nightmares is uh, being trapped on a roof and sliding slowly toward oh, the edge. Oh, God, yes. Yes, yes, yes. So he manages to climb a few meters, all the while trying not to think about plummeting to his death. The sweat was pouring down his face, which had nothing to do with the oppressive heat. It was just sheer panic. And then, just as he reached the second floor... <laughs> 
disaster strikes. <laughs> well, if I can just stop you right there, I'm glad that disaster mm-hmm. struck when he was only one story up rather than, say, the 27th story. <laughs> His foot slipped on a particularly slick stone. He found himself falling through the humid air. Gravity, I think we can all agree, can be a bitch. It sure can. At times. It doesn't argue. Luckily for him, uh, there was a parked car right beneath where he was climbing. <laughs> It's roof and windshield looking like the perfect landing spot for an impromptu swan dive. Yeah. With a crash that could be heard for what seemed like blocks, Mick landed on the car's windshield and shattered it into a spider web oh, of glass. My Lord, my Lord. He's just, he's lying there all sprawled out, just groaning. So he summons up every ounce of his battered pride and Mick pulls himself off the wreckage of the car, uh, shards of glass clinging to his tattered clothing. His face was adorned with cuts and bruises resembling a piece of abstract art painted by a particularly disgruntled artist. And let me guess, he decided, well, that was a bad idea. I'm going to go wait for help. Well, you know. (laughs) No, really? (laughs) He was not a man to be deterred by one small setback, Lindsay. Sure, okay. Stubbornness apparently was his middle name right after dangerous and impulsive. And drunk. With his uh, resolve unshaken, he dusted off his tattered dignity and he, <laughs> I picture him spitting out glass and teeth as he walks back <laughs> toward the building. <laughs> to start the climb again. Yeah. Yeah. This time he approached the building with an air of determination. Yeah. One that would have made even a seasoned mountaineer proud. He figured, hey. I've already fallen once. What's the worst that could happen? Plus, I know which brick to avoid now. You learn from your mistakes. Sure. Not going to step on that thing again. So he clung to the side of the building with determination. And as he climbed, his heart pounding, I, I, I imagine like a didgeridoo. <laughs> um, but this time, it was accompanied by a group of people that had uh, seen and heard what was going on. So he's now got bystanders? He's got an audience? Yeah, they're cheering him on. Of course. You got this, mate. You got it. You got it. He also had apparently uh, uh, disturbed a, uh, a group of possums in the hmm. trees nearby. And so they were, they were all gathered around <laughs> as well. The, even the possums are probably, they probably got side bets going amongst themselves. <laughs> How many stories before he falls this time? Saying it in an Australian accent. Betting possums. Possums are known to have a bit of a gambling habit. They love them a wager, yeah. So here he is clinging to the building. Each painstaking step, he inches upward. Okay. Past the windows of his neighbors who were undoubtedly still asleep. Or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe they joined the crowd at the bottom. He reaches the third floor. Okay. The air was thick with tension, Lindsay. But fate has a cruel sense of humor. Oh, boy. Mick reached for the next stone crevice. His sweaty palm betrayed him. He slipped once more. This time, however, he was less fortunate in his landing. Uh, He missed the car. Missed the windshield this time. Missed it. Uh, Gravity claimed him once again, and he plummeted, landing with a sickening thud on the ground below. And the possums are high-fiving each other. (laughs) Some of them tearing up their betting tickets and throwing them on the ground in disdain. Stomping off. Yeah. (laughs) Mick lay there sprawled on the concrete. Uh, He was battered, but really wasn't that badly hurt. 
So this is when he decided to give up, right? Right, JG? Well, I, I don't know because the paramedics had been called and they arrived. And uh, before he had a chance to make any further decisions upon his building climbing adventure, they uh, put him on a stretcher and whisked him away to Royal Darwin Hospital. Okay. He completely recovered. He wasn't that badly hurt. It was a painful lesson. His head hurt a little bit. Right. But one that he would undoubtedly recount with a laugh over a cold beer after he got out of the hospital. (laughs) And so, let it be known, as I've heard somebody say many times, in the town of Darwin, where crocodiles lurk in murky waters and possums are, well, gamblers, Mm Mm-hmm. Mick has earned a place in the annals of the town's quirky history. (laughs) I love this quote. A sergeant on the Darwin police force put it aptly when he said, quote, well, that doesn't happen every day. (laughs) I love when cops sum things up like that. (laughs) (laughs) So Mick wears his scars with pride for he dared to defy gravity in the most foolish and unforgettable way possible and yet still survived. Good for Mick. Good for Mick. This comes from the Australian and the (laughs) Gold Coast Bulletin. (laughs) I love that spirit of adventure. I do, too. The fact that I guess this is what separates Mick from, say, 99.999% of the rest of the world. If you or I had been laying on our on our back on that wind, windshield with stars <laughs> spinning around our head, I think we probably uh-huh. would have slowly fallen off the hood of the car and decided to go over to the front door of the building and maybe ring a doorbell. Is there a, is there a night clerk there at the desk or some damn thing? Just crawl off and bleed in the shrubs for yeah, a while. Yeah. Just to kind of get your head together yeah, again. While the possums mock you. Possums are ruthless, aren't they? They are, they are. Especially when they lose a big bet. They're very, very sore losers. That's what I... And, and they have been for, that's for as long for, as I've known. For millennia. Damn possums and their gambling. <laughs> oh, glad uh, glad he's okay. He's okay. I guess that's Surprisingly. All, that, all that matters. Really doesn't deserve to be, but, <laughs> but he is nonetheless. It's a staple of almost every workbench and garage in America. A trusty can of WD-40. It loosens tight bolts, cleans lots of surfaces, and prevents rust and corrosion. But did you know WD-40 can be your secret weapon in the kitchen? Introducing WD-40 Chefs and Bartenders Edition. Just a spritz of this new version of WD-40 will have your food sliding out of your pan and onto your plate. But the nonstick action doesn't stop there. That food will slide off your plate and down your gullet faster than you can say, get me to the ER, I'm going to spew chunks. WD-40 Chefs and Bartenders Edition is also a great way to spice up your cocktails. A plain martini takes on a taste that'll baffle your dinner guests, and your finest red wine will slide right out of that glass and into their mouths like never before. No WD-40 is intended for human consumption. You should not be used in any activity involving food or drink. You'd have to be an idiot to use it in the kitchen or bar. Don't put any kind of WD-40 into anything you intend to eat or drink. WD-40 Chefs and Bartenders Edition is not for sale in California because nothing's allowed to be sold in California. WD-40 Chefs and Bartenders Edition. Available at finer hardware stores everywhere. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. 
To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. This comes to us from a subscriber named Kyle. To the funniest guys in the podcast business. Well, how nice is that, JG? Did he mistakenly send that to us? <laughs> I think he, maybe he meant to send it to you and and Kat, and somehow no, it ended up shallow end. I don't know. Well, we appreciate that. Yeah. He said, I've just started listening to the shallow end. I started binging the box of oddities back in October. And then I decided the shallow end would be a nice addition to my days driving a semi-truck, semi-truck in Kansas City onto my shallow end moment. Growing up in Mancus, Colorado, my folks had essentially a small farm in our backyard. Three dozen chickens, large veggie garden, two dogs, and a plethora of fruit trees. We also had a beehive box. When I was about six or so, it was springtime, I was playing in the backyard. I noticed the bees were not flying around the box as they normally did. So I walked up to the hive. I took a small stick and, yes, began poking the front of the hive. Literally poking the beehive. (laughs) Within seconds, I could hear the buzzing of hundreds of bees within the box. They began pouring out of the bottom of the hive. I took off like a bat out of hell, screaming like a banshee toward the house. I covered those 15 yards or so from the hive to the (laughs) side door in seconds. Once inside, my mom discovered I'd been stung over 10 times. Oof. Is there a God in heaven? I believe so. For three days, my left eye was swollen shut. My face looked like the sloth from the Goonies. Thank God all the backyard honey I consumed kept me from having an allergic reaction to the bees. Any hoozle, I love your show and the box of oddities. Yours, Kyle. Thanks, Kyle. You ever been been stung, J.D.? Yes. Yeah. I have. Several times when I was a young child, because I I, I would like to, I wanted to build tree forts all of the Mm, time, which really meant just killing the apple tree by putting nails in it. Um, But oftentimes I would end up with a bee sting or a wasp sting. Mm -hmm. And my mother, her solution to that was to take baking soda, put a little water in baking soda and then plaster it on. Make a paste. Yes. Yeah. Like 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 a a poultice. A poultice, if you will. Interesting. And it worked? No, I don't think so. No. Well, it made, made her feel like she was doing something to help you. And yeah, without actually have, having to leave the house. Mom's doing something to make me feel better. I'm guessing it's going to work. I'm going to drop in one more email from uh, one of my, our favorite listeners, Reed Savory, who I think is, as I've said before, has one of the coolest names on the planet Earth. He says, since Lindsay said I had a great name when he read one of my stories recently, I figure I owe you guys one for your list. As a New Englander... Jethro may also remember this person, but there is a now retired politician who was a former U.S. congressman from New Hampshire, as well as being the former U.S. ambassador to Denmark under Bill Clinton. His name was Richard Sweat, (laughs) S-W-E-T-T. Now, you would think, considering that name, that he'd stick Mm. with Richard. No. But no. He leaned straight into that mother chucker and rode it to a successful political career. There you go. Imagine my surprise the first time I was driving in New Hampshire and I saw a huge American flag emblazoned lawnside proudly proclaiming, vote for Dick Sweat. (laughs) And then uh, Reed includes two links to uh, a Wikipedia page and another web page on the career of the good politician Congressman Richard Sweat of New Hampshire. That's that's Dick to his friends. Yes. I would imagine that's an easy name to remember at the polls, though. You said polls. Lifeguard at shallowandpodcast.com. 
where it's suddenly junior high all over again. Yeah. I wonder if he ever headed up a caucus. <laughs> I wonder. I'd like to try and come up with one of my own, but I'm afraid that the <laughs> remainder of the podcast would just be dick jokes for yep, 15 yep. minutes. And we yep. have somewhat of a somewhat of a reputation to try and uphold here. Okay, let's let's do what we can so, to uphold that. Uphold like, that. Like Dick Sweatwood. Like, like Dick Sweatwood. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? <laughs> you get the goofiest game in history, Queen's Podcast. Hi, I'm Nathan. And I'm Katie. And we're the host of Queen's Podcast. Join us while we spill the tea on women from history. We get into all kinds of stories here, like biographies of lesser known figures. For instance, Saida Haltura, powerful pirate queen. To the stories you might already know, like Marie Antoinette or Cleopatra, but with a fun twist. Each queen is paired with a cocktail that'll totally get you in the mood to hear fun, juicy, and dramatic stories from history. Because history is so much more than just dudes on a battlefield, and we believe that the female perspective and roles are just as deserving of their time in the spotlight. Right. So come get to know these queens. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers. Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MKUltra? Wait, what? (laughs) Anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. You're in the shallow end with Schnappley and Toth. Well, it's interesting that yours, uh, your story, JG, took place down under because mine could not be more uh, sweet Midwest of the U.S. of A. Our story of wedding bell bliss takes place in a small town in Nebraska called Denton, Nebraska. And when I say small, Jethro... Uh, In the 2020 census, the population of Denton, Nebraska, was just under 200 people. That's pretty damn small. Wow. It's about 12 miles southwest of downtown Lincoln, Nebraska, for those of you looking at your uh, maps. Birthplace of Johnny Carson, was it not? I believe it was. Good trivia question. Well, there's a company in Denton, Nebraska called Hillside Events, and it is a gorgeous, gorgeous place. It's a venue for things like weddings, baby showers, family reunions, corporate retreats, things like that. So back in October of last year, a young couple chose that spot for their wedding, and it was just idyllic. And if you go to the website for Hillside Events in Denton, Nebraska, they've got photos that show off the property really well and all kinds of stories about how they've refurbished the the land and added on to a a barn and in fact their webpage says the rustic barn quote makes a perfect wedding venue that's surrounded by lush green pastures beautiful trees rolling hills and a vineyard with a fresh country breeze clear blue skies and panoramic view well there's a gentleman who 
is our protagonist in this story. His name is Michael Gardner, and he had actually gone from his home in Odessa, Texas, to officiate at a wedding that was taking place at Hillside Events. It was his nephew's wedding. So I think that's pretty that's pretty cool for a nephew to have his his uncle officiate at his wedding. Now, there were about maybe 200 people gathered all around the property waiting for the wedding to start. So the entire town showed up. <laughs> the equivalent of the entire town was there <laughs> on the farm. Mm. Well, like a bad screenplay, the nuptials were running late because someone forgot the wedding rings. How many bad feature films have we seen Ugh. where somebody realizes, you know, they reach into their pocket and they're supposed to have the wedding rings and they're not there. Well, oops, this actually happened before this wedding. So now it's running late. The guy who's supposed to bring the rings has to go back to wherever he left them and he brings them back. He finally arrives. The rings are handed off to Michael, our protagonist, and everyone is ready to light this candle. Well, Michael Gardner's grandson walked a flower girl down the aisle, which is very, very sweet. Mm -hmm. And then that 12-year-old boy, the grandson, went over to stand next to his grandfather, Michael. Now, Michael had come up with an unusual idea, Jethro. He wanted (laughs) something a little different to start the ceremony. Does it involve weaponry? Well, it does. You get an A plus for for guessing. Were the tuxes all camo? Oh, you know what? They don't have they don't have photos. But that's how I'm picturing it. That would have been a great a great touch. The cliche, to your point, would be for an organist or a string quartet or a brass quartet or some musician to start playing. Here comes the bride. But Michael, being from Texas. And being a little bit inventive, wanted something a bit more dramatic, something that would surprise people, something to be told (laughs) by guests when they got back home. He had come up with an idea, Jethro, to exactly as you guess, to fire a gun in the air. What kind of gun is appropriate (laughs) for a formal wedding? Uh, What type of weaponry should one bring? You ask a very, very good question. It was a 44 caliber Pieta snub nose revolver. That he, had, that he had borrowed. That's sexy. He had come up with this idea to fire this gun into the air, and that would be the cue for the bride to begin walking down that gentle slope <laughs> to join the groom and begin their vows. Oh, my. So many things are happening in my head right yeah, now. Yeah. You know? This is sort of like... Your story is I was watching Mick try and climb <laughs> all the images in my head thinking, oh, I don't think this is going to end very well. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, pal, when, when Michael Gardner cocked back the hammer of that gun, it slipped Uh-oh. and accidentally misfired as he was pulling the gun from his... It, it doesn't say if his pocket or if he had a holster or whatever, but as he's pulling it up, he accidentally fires the weapon. Oh, no. Yeah, and actually hits his grandson who's standing next to him. Oh, my God. With the blank. Okay. So it was, it was a blank. It was a blank. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that in a minute because he had, he had made it himself and even explains why he made it himself good good 
he realizes instantly what's gone down, so to speak, and everybody else does too. Now, fortunately, among the guests there, Gardner's brother-in-law is a paramedic. So he immediately jumps up to tend to this to this young boy, this this 12-year-old boy. Who's going, what the hell, Grandpa? <laughs> well, actually, the, the boy, God bless him, didn't want to be a distraction. And he, he kept saying, I'm okay. No, I'm okay. I'm okay. So that's, that's a surprise uh, to me. That, that's actually <laughs> surprise number one to me. Here's surprise number two, Jethro. <laughs> okay. As the boy is being treated, Gardner decides, well, let's go on with the wedding. No. So he goes back to officiating the wedding, and apparently the bride is completely unaware of what had gone down. Okay, because she hadn't I guess been let in yet, or... She hadn't made it all the way down. She, the sound of gunfire didn't... Uh... <laughs> Suddenly a shot rang out. The bride was undeterred. <laughs> So because she had been so far away, she probably just heard a pop and thought nothing of it. She doesn't realize that, you know, that this guy's grandson has been has been hit in the shoulder. He's been winged. He's been winged, damn it. Uh, so somehow Gardner finishes off officiating the wedding and he actually jumps into an ambulance that gets called and rides with his grandson to the hospital. Now, he says, I don't remember it, but we finished the ceremony. The whole thing was pretty fuzzy because I couldn't get my mind off my grandson. Of course. Now, the the chief deputy of the Lancaster County Sheriff's Office in Nebraska is a guy named Ben Houchin. And Ben, who knows his way around guns, says for it to be a blank, someone had to put a sealant over it. The decision to use glue to seal the gunpowder in so that it wouldn't fall out of the casing was significant. And this... (laughs) This is what I love. The deputy adds, you know, sometimes we get hunting accidents and things like that. People get accidentally wounded that way, but not with a homemade blanket or wedding. That was a first. That was a first. Another law enforcement quote that we can all agree with. So Gardner is being interviewed and he says, hey, look, I purposely didn't use a fully loaded blank because I didn't want a loud bang. He he wanted, I guess, a tasteful gunshot. Nothing that would make people, you know, jump out of their chairs. And he says that he had shot blanks before, but he admitted he'd not shot a homemade blank before that event, that that wedding uh, last October. Now, yeah. he had actually borrowed somebody else's gun, that, that snub-nosed pistol, because he said, quote, it was more suitable for what I had in mind for the wedding. <laughs> He says, anyone that handles any kind of weapon needs to know that weapon and know how it works and know what the possible dangers could be. You need to know that. That's a huge thing. And the sheriff, Houchin, emphasized that in his 30 years with the sheriff's office, he had, quote, never seen a blank like this. It was poorly made. Ooh. Yeah. So Gardner, the uh, the officiant, the guy with the the guy with the golden gun is interviewed by The Washington Post and he regrets uh, obviously, using this this homemade blank, he said, it's hard knowing you hurt somebody that you love more than life itself. Common sense would tell you that you don't carry a gun around with a blank in it and that it would do you no good. But the gun was part of the wedding and it was going to be used to summon the bride. 
<laughs> I think okay. Don't don't argue well. don't argue here. Now the good news is that the twelve year old boy, Michael's grandson, was treated at Children's Hospital in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, and his injuries were very, very minor. It was just oh, that, that glue that, that hit him, I think it was in his shoulder. But he was treated and, and released pretty, pretty quickly. So he was discharged from the hospital. Gardner said that he spoke with the bride and the groom. Remember, the groom was his nephew, and he said they were sick about what happened, but family has supported one another since the shooting. That is a strange sentence to come out of a, <clears throat> a wedding ceremony. Well, this one I thought was even more interesting. He says, quote, God wasn't surprised by what happened that day. He made sure things were taken care of. He knew what we were going to need that day. And then he closes by saying, I've been around guns all my life, and I've never had anything like this happen. <laughs> I could only imagine. That's, that's an understatement of all time. Yeah. Now, again, this weapon was a snub-nosed 38? Uh, 44 caliber. A snub-nosed 44. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a big, uh, big gun. It's a, that's a big gun. 44 caliber snub-nosed revolver. And it's interesting to me that he thought that was more appropriate for a formal event. <laughs> An AK-47 is so gauche. It's, it's more elegant than a Glock, you know? <laughs> That's that's just bad show. So pedestrian. Despite doing exhaustive research on this story, I couldn't find anything in terms of a follow-up, only that he had had a court date in late December, but I couldn't mm. find any outcome. So I don't know how this resolved itself, but I am focusing on the fact that Michael realizes... Next time I officiated a wedding, probably not best to fire off a blank to summon the bride and <laughs> that his uh, grandson was treated and released and, and wasn't hurt. Wow. That's quite a story. Got this from the New York Post, the Washington Post and KXAS TV in Dallas, Fort Worth. Leave your guns at home and at the wedding. In my mind, when you started telling this story, uh, because everything in my head is a cartoon Pretty much <laughs> picture it as like kind of like a Looney Tune type style cartoon where right. <laughs> Elmer Fudd is playing the part of uh, Michael Gardner okay. and he, he pulls out his gun and he shoots it right. and he kills a duck and the carcass lands right in the wedding cake. Oh, that's what was going on in my head. Perfect. That would be very, very Looney Tunes. And then Porky Pig says, that's all folks. Very good. The comedic voice stylings of Jethro, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you so much. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. That's where you can reach us. And uh, any story at all that you have. If you want to pass something you've seen in your newspaper, if you still happen to read a newspaper, even though it's 2024, <laughs> or anything at all that uh, maybe has happened to you, we'd love to hear from you. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. That is an interesting comment about newspapers. Yeah. I'm surprised when I see them at stores now. You know, it's like, well, how quaint. When I moved to Los Angeles, it was uh, 1989. And I used to look forward to the Sunday Los Angeles Times because I swear it was about three inches thick. Mm -hmm. It weighed a freaking ton. And it took yeah. the entire day to read even half of it. 
I mean, it would land like a thud. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I remember as a kid, I delivered newspapers for the Boston Globe and the Sunday Globe, very similar. It was sure. three inches thick, mostly flyers and ads and stuff. You must have dreaded Sunday mornings when you're going to have to schlep those things around. I Yeah, and I had like 75 or 80 of them to deliver, yeah. and uh, they would drop them off on my front porch. It's like this big truck. I would hear it like three in the morning, beep, 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 <laughs> and my entire front porch would be full of Boston Globe newspapers. <laughs> there's, there's Boston Globe all over the place. And that, my friend, is why I am have such a burly physique today. Because of your youth-toting giant Sunday Boston Globes. I now get the Sunday LA Times delivered to my house, and I'm always struck now by it. Looks like a little, uh, like a little, you know, small town weekly flyer. It's like a pamphlet now. Yeah, like it's a little pamphlet. Join us next week for more newspaper talk here on the uh, shallow end. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. Sometimes we just get to reminisce and see, and well, that's what happens. Yeah, lose yep. track of time. You signed up for this. <laughs> We'll see you next time. Uh, make good choices. Your life might depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast. Give these boys a five-star rating and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. Okay, you gotta go. Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.